Grace, the Amy Santiago of Royal Bloggers. And I'm Jessica, the Dorothy's Borinaf of Royal Bloggers. And we'd like to welcome you to On Air, the podcast where two cynical Brits discuss the latest royal news and the truth behind the story. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the On Air podcast. Um, it's going to be a bit of deja vu this week. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because we are pretty much doing exactly what we did last week. So shall we just do the same structure we did last time and kick off with the serious? Kick off serious and end with end with cheerful fun photos. <laughs> yeah. So last week we talked about the story that Prince Andrew was being kicked out or maybe being pressured to leave um, his home royal lodge on the Windsor, Windsor estate. Um, and before that episode even came out, uh, the story kept developing. I said in the episode that it was mutating and it kept doing that. And um, so there was a new development before we even released the episode, uh, which is very unhelpful of them. They don't they should time <laughs> things for when we record our podcast. But anyway, um, so a new development came out, which we're going to talk about now, um, which is that Meghan and Harry, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, are being essentially kicked out of their home, which is also on the Wind- Windsor estate, Frogmore Cottage. Uh, So the news came out originally and it was just sort of a rumour and then a few days later was confirmed by the couple. Before we get into the actual sort of meat of what's going on at the moment, we have another edition of Grace's History Lesson. (laughs) So Frogmore Cottage is part of the Frogmore Estate and there's a handful of little, I say little, they're big houses, like Frogmore House, Frogmore Cottage. And they're part of something called Home Park, which is a selection of houses and cottages which are all officially part of Windsor Castle. Um, it was built in 1801 uh, for a, by, well, not by Queen Charlotte. She didn't do it herself. She ordered someone else <laughs> to do it for apparently a grand total of £450, which is a bargain. Um, and she lived there initially with her unmarried daughters. It was like her home. And then it went to um, Henry James Senior, who was a theologist, um, and then in Queen Victoria's era, it was Abdul Karim who lived there, who was her personal secretary and is a very interesting freak if you want to look him up. And that's where its name came from as well, because Queen Victoria, well, going to visit him for tea was like, oh, there's so many frogs. It's disgusting. And she wrote that in her little diary, which is where we, and then it became Frogmore Cottage after she insulted the frogs. To be fair, I find frogs a bit creepy as well. They're fine on, like, if I see a video of them, they're quite cute. But if I was with one in a room, I'd find it quite creepy. I'm quite interested to know how many frogs are there. Like, mm. I think three was an immense amount of frogs. So, like, you look out the door, there's, like, frogs staring at you. Yeah. they're different things. Yeah. And she was dramatic. Uh, she, yes, very dramatic. Um, and then after um, Abdul Karim died, it went to Grand Duchess Xenia Alexandria of Russia after the Russian Revolution. Um, then it went to some estate workers for quite a long time. And then eventually in 2019, it was given to the Duke and Duchess of Sussex as their wedding present from the Queen. Excellent. That was a great history. Thank you very much. Needs to create a jingle. Grace's history lessons. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a bit different from the Andrew situation because with Andrew, we didn't actually know what was going to happen. Um, it's just rumour. But I still think that there'll probably be developments over the next few days. And so by the time this comes out, our disclaimer, I suppose, is that we know that some of the things in this episode might be out of date fairly quickly. We're still going to do it anyway. Um, Yes, but not our fault if Charles and 
the royal family decide to just do weird things in between Sunday and Thursday. They need to do nothing on those days and loads on Friday. Yes, that would be great for us. Thank you. Um, But I think, so there's a lot of comment, much like the Andrew situation, there's a lot of commentary. And I do think there's still some sort of facts that we can kind of fact check around the story before we move on to kind of some of the, the commentary and the press narrative around it. And I we did sort of ask um, if people had any questions and we got a couple of things so um, we can kind of go through some of the basic facts around it. And so I think one of the big conversation pieces, which came from an, uh, an anonymous message we got on Tumblr, is kind of around who is asking them to leave. Um, we, in our last episode, we talked about the Crown Estate and how Andrew's lease is with the Crown Estate. It's not with the monarch personally, it's with the Crown Estate, um, which is kind of a separate thing. And so the monarch will be consulted, but can't unilaterally make any decisions. And that's what I have always thought Frogmore Cottage was as well. I always thought the relationship was that they have their lease with the Crown Estate and um, that the, the property is owned by the Crown Estate. So why wouldn't they have their lease with the Crown Estate? And so it was even if Charles was involved in the decision, the Crown Estate were the ones who were asking to, them to leave. But plot twist, <laughs> it's not. I know, it was it was a shocking, shocking turn of events. Yeah. Because, because Frogmore Cottage is officially part of Windsor Castle, the official landlord of Frogmore Cottage is the monarch, who at the moment is Charles. So Charles is entirely in charge of who does and does not live there. So... It, they were evicted by uh, Charlie himself. By Charlie himself, yeah. Back in the Queen Victoria's era, I, I don't, I think, I don't know exactly why. Maybe because of the positioning of it, where it's located, but I, I don't really know. It was sort of annexed and considered to be part of Windsor Castle, um, along with Frogmore House, which is the the house which is on the sort of same bit of land. Um, and so, as part of that estate, he gets to decide who lives in Frogmore Cottage. And so, yeah, the Crown Estate have said that it's nothing to do with them they don't have any decision over who leases it or who stays there so I'm glad that this anonymous person asked about it because otherwise (laughs) I would have just been like well it's owned by the crown estate but everyone is saying that it's Charles is wrong Uh, but no it turns out that um, this was all Charles's decision I think we've both last week and every other week been like Charles doesn't do that it's not even Charles Charles is getting blamed and but no for once for once Charles is to blame yeah Charles in charge I mean, I'm sure that Harry and Meghan will have had a private lease that um, means that they can't just be kicked out whenever. You know, so they'll have some legal protections, but ultimately it's a lease with Charles. So yeah, that's I know that after they stepped down as working royals, they took on their initial private lease, which I now know was, Queen, with, was with Queen Elizabeth and not with the Crown Estate. It was due to run out in March 2020. So it was either a one or two year lease. And he renewed that lease. So if you were going to assume it was carrying on on a sort of one-year rolling contract, it would be running out this month anyway. So it's not like they've thrown out. It's more like no more. You don't get to stay another year. But they're not like out on your ear. Basically, the lease hasn't been renewed. Um, any this, and this this could happen to anybody. So one of the other things I think is coming up quite a lot that I wanted to fact check is about the cost of the renovations. The renovations that were done for Harry and Meghan to be able to live there cost about two point four million pounds. And they are paid for by the taxpayer through the sovereign grant, so through the money that the, the, the monarch gets from the government. And Harry and Meghan got a lot of flack for taking a home that had been renovated by taxpayers and then leaving the royal family less than a year later. Um, so essentially, they agreed to pay back the £2.4 million. 
And I think there's been a lot of confusion about this from everybody, really. So when they made the payment, they said that they paid back the sovereign grant, which is not really a thing. Um, that doesn't really make sense. What they did <laughs> was they gave the money back to the monarch, essentially. But I think there was a lot of narrative that like they paid back the taxpayer, which they hadn't. We didn't see that money. It didn't decrease. They didn't sort of get 2.4 million pounds less the next year from the government. Um, so they just basically pay back the monarch. So the monarch has more money. I don't. Um, which I think is an important thing to say. We also know from the royal family's accounts that the funds were offset against their rent, um, kind of like the relationship we talked about last week with Andrew. Um, so they paid this 2.4 million, but they got lower rent as a result. I was going to say, it's a, it was a really sort of interesting situation because everyone, all the narratives were like wrong, mm. but in a weird way, because the, the initial narrative, which was that how dare they spend all this money, was kind of bad because they were going to spend the money renovating Frogmore Cottage anyway. It needed renovation. Yeah. So it would have, the money still would have been spent. And then the kind of reverse, which was, oh, they've paid it back. What brilliant people. Yeah. It was like, they ha- it was a bit like last week when you spoke about how, um, like, that even if uh, Charles cuts the money that goes to Andrew, he's not cutting the amount of money that we give him. Yeah. It's just being reallocated. It's the same way. Like, they, we didn't get the money back. They just went yeah. back into the allocation funds for other people. Yeah. So really, what I'm hearing is uh, Harry is funding Kate's wardrobe this year. And that is yeah. what I'm going to start with as a conspiracy theory. It could well be. Who knows? Um, yeah. And I think, I, like, I I never needed them to pay back the funds personally, because my, as you say, it was always going to be renovated. And we now know that it's Charles's responsibility. So it probably always would have been through the sovereign grant. The, the arrangement was, your work, this is your home. We're renovating it. And there was no sort of condition of you're going to work for X amount of time. Like, what if Harry got hit by a bus? No, but I don't think people would have been like, they have to pay back the money for the renovations because they're not working royals anymore. Um, you know, so I, I know that's a different example because that wouldn't have been their choice necessarily. He wouldn't have wanted to get hit by a bus. But I'm just <laughs> trying to say that, like, anything can happen. And so the renovations were made because they were working royals at the time. And this was their home. that They got given by the Queen. So... I never expected them to pay back the funds. I never needed that to happen. Um, and I, so I don't really care one way or another whether they did. But I do think it's important to just correct that it wasn't quite the way that the narrative was framed um, in terms of that situation. But then I think there's also been more confusion in the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm, I think it was Emily Andrews. I think so. It was a blonde woman. Yes. <laughs> they all kind of blend in my brain a bit. <laughs> The blonde woman journalist. Um, <laughs> she piped up and she said basically that she didn't think that they paid the full 2.4 million and that they'd only paid like 600,000 pounds or something. And I don't, I mean, I didn't read the article she posted to be fair. So maybe she clears it all up there, but I don't think she's right. So the Royal Family's independently audited accounts said two years in a row that Harry and Meghan had paid a lump sum in full 2.4 million in September of 2020. So that seems pretty unambiguous to me that they paid 2.4 million pounds. So basically they paid the money and then it was offset against their rent. And Emily seems to think it's the other way around, that they were paying rent that was offset against the renovations. So I think she's wrong, basically. Yeah, because every statement we've had from the like royals or from Harry and Meghan have been it's been paid back. Like yeah. on in the 7th of May 2020, the spokesperson for for the Duke of Sussex was like, 
yeah, he's repaid it. And then, like you said, in the accounts, I said in September, it was repaid. And next year, it said it was repaid. And then I mean, I was just like, actually, you're all wrong. I know, as a completely, you know, biased journalist who's got nothing to do with the finances of the family, <laughs> yeah. I know how much Harry's paid back, and it's only six hundred thousand. So, yeah, I think she's, I think she's just gotten herself a wee bit confused. Um, because I, I understand why people might not trust the um, statements that are coming from, you know, people get very het up about anything to do with Harry and Meghan um, in both directions, that very supportive or very hateful. And I think lots of people wouldn't trust the royal family's statements on it and lots of people wouldn't trust the Sussex's statements on it. But it was an independently, I can't say this enough, independently audited accounts. So I, I don't. And, and it said two years in a row, so they could have corrected it if they'd made a mistake. And it was very unambiguous that they have paid this in a lump sum. So I just, I don't really know what she's talking about. I think she's she's confusing things. Um, but essentially, my understanding is, yes, they paid that money back. Whether you consider that to actually be a be repayment against the renovations is another matter. Um, but they paid £2.4 million pounds is, the, is the basic conclusion. I, I think what's interesting is that we know the terms of Andrew's lease in a way that we don't know the terms of the Sussex's lease. So we know that with Andrew, if he moves out within a certain time frame, which was the first 25 years of his lease, then he, we may have to repay him some of the costs of, that he spent on renovations, which was seven and a half million. Um, we don't actually know the terms of the lease that the Sussexes have. We don't know the terms of their agreement. So I'd always thought that they paid 2.4 million pounds and then however many years 2.4 million translates into that's how many years they get because they've they've paid that essentially as rent but now I don't know now now I'm just like thinking will we have to pay them back some of that 2.4 million pounds because it was supposed to, the agreement was that they paid it to be offset against their lease and now they're no longer going to be living there so we have to give the rest of it back to them or were they making the payment against their lease for as long as they lived there but they understood that the rest of it would be kept after they moved out you know so we don't really know. That's the, that's the thing that's most interesting to me. I think Emily Andrews and all these other people have confused this situation about the renovations. But the interesting question, which as of recording is still outstanding, is whether or not we will owe them money when they leave. Yeah, that was the first thing I thought when I saw the news. I was like, so we have to pay Andrew and Harry? Yeah. <laughs> I have to pay two lots. Of, how much is it going to cost me all this? Um, yeah. And then I was like, is it? Maybe because it was obviously told to to the general public that Harry and Meghan were going to repay the taxpayer money yeah which isn't actually what happened they repaid the sovereign grant they repaid yeah. the same amount but it wasn't the taxpayer so I wonder if it was like almost like he didn't want to, not him but as a couple as a family they didn't want to owe the royal family anything mm. so we're like we'll pay you off and it's got there and therefore it's got nothing to do with us. We, you can't yeah. hold that over our heads anymore because I feel like if I was having an argument with my family that is a kind of petty thing I would do I'd be like right have that back I don't want it anymore <laughs> and so I'm, I wonder if that paying it back because it was like it was such a public thing of the public were angry um, and they, it was like an appeasement but it it's not something that they needed to do as far as we know like there was no like you said there was no law that they because they'd had this money spent on their house they had to do the work so I wonder if it, for them, and as part of the royal family, it was almost like a separate secret deal they had going on. I mean, this is getting into a bigger conversation, but my view is no matter what you thought about Harry and Meghan, after they left, they're private citizens. It's got, no, it doesn't, doesn't matter what they say, it's got nothing to do with me, is for the most part. And I think some people just refuse to let it go. 
And so they've come up with reasons why they think it's still okay for them to talk about people who are private citizens who've got nothing to do with the monarchy anymore. And one of those reasons was always, well, they we paid all that money for their, their renovating their house. So technically they're still in our debt. And I think they were there to them. It was kind of like, well, now we're not. <laughs> but it's that <laughs> it's that relationship with the rent that is interesting because if the agreement was this will be offset against your rent and that's why you're paying it back in a lump sum in the same way that it was with Andrew, essentially, then then we we may owe them money. But if if it was just a lump sum and they were just like, OK, well, because you paid this and you didn't have to, we will let you stay here for as long as you stay here rent free. But then the money still stays with us. We just don't know, really, is the ultimate. So we, we might owe people money again. Um, thanks, Charles. But um, we don't know for definite. So it's such like a it's a weird situation because I don't want it to be a case that I now owe lots of rich people more yeah. money. But at the same time, like I'm really fast. And because it is evolving fairly quickly, yeah. I'm quite interested to see if it's going to be like now in the, within the next two days, we're going to find out or even like yeah. the end of the year. They'll be like, surprise, the next budget is that we're giving more money because we've evicted Harry from his house. <laughs> the royals are notorious, the British royals anyway, are notoriously... Um, secretive about anything related to finances they like to make things as muddy and um, unclear as possible so that nobody knows exactly what's going on um so I think they will resist telling us as much as possible but of course Harry and Meghan are the um the unknown entity you know I think ordinarily the royals well the royals didn't confirm that they'd asked Harry and Meghan to move out it was Harry and Meghan who confirmed it so they could just tomorrow announce well actually you owe us money <laughs> um, um you know who knows so yeah that's a kind of I hope that clears that situation up about what what they paid and and why and um and sort of opens up that question which we don't currently know the answer to and then my last sort of fact check moment is, before I get into more of the commentary stuff is um around whether or not Harry is still a councillor of state so the councillor of state position is um a it's essentially like a mini regent like when the monarch is out of the country they appoint at least two people to do their job for them while they're out of the country so they can sign laws and all those sorts of things there's limitations on what they can do but that's a different topic um and there's specific criteria for who can be a councillor of state one of those conditions is that they have to be domiciled in the united kingdom and so a lot of people are now saying that Harry, because if Harry moves out of Frogmore, he will no longer be domiciled in the UK. So therefore won't be a councillor of state. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't. <laughs> Anyone who tells you definitively Harry is no longer a councillor of state, he's no longer domiciled in the UK, is talking nonsense unless they are a lawyer who specialises in domicile and like tax and that sort of stuff. Unless So domicile does not mean live. Um, I think that's confusing for people because when we say domicile and like, I mean, we don't say it very often in casual conversation. Oh, yes, I am domicile. But I think <laughs> people would assume the, me the word means live, um, but it doesn't. So some countries domicile doesn't matter at all. Um, and so that's probably why it's confusing for people is because it doesn't matter in their country. Everybody gets a domicile of origin, which is usually it's what you get at birth. It's usually from your parents um and so Harry's is British because both of his parents are British he was born there um and it's actually very very difficult to get rid of your domicile of origin and so moving somewhere else doesn't mean you've gotten rid of your domicile of origin um so you you have to show essentially that you have found a new domicile and that you have indefinitely broken ties with your old domicile and I think 
the thing that's confusing about it is there's like there's no one test that you have to do in order to pass and be deemed having changed your domicile it's not like you have to do one thing it's like a cumulative thing so if you were going to a lawyer you'd have to provide multiple things to show that you have broken ties with your old country and and moved to this new country indefinitely and so owning property or having a rental property or whatever in the country in sort of in the UK is a strong indicator that Harry is domiciled in the UK still but it's not the only thing So they might look at something like whether you're registered to vote in your new country, whether you've written a will in your new country, where are your business ties? Um, Do you have investments in in the country that you originally came from? Have you bought a burial plot? That's something that they look at in your, you know, if you bought a burial plot in your new domicile, that suggests you're probably going to stay there till you die. Have you started seeking citizenship? All of these kinds of things are what they will look at. So it's not the case that you can say, well, Harry doesn't have a house here anymore. So he's no longer domiciled here um, because, I mean, he still has patronages that are here. He probably still has a you know, British bank account or something. He has family members who are here. He said publicly on multiple occasions that he wants to have a relationship with the UK, um, even though he said horrible things about us as well. He has said that on numerous occasions. Um, and I actually, I found an example, which I thought was quite interesting um, to sort of illustrate how difficult this thing is. So um, the example I found was of an Irish woman who was found to be domiciled in the UK even though she had only lived in the UK for an Irish, I mean, Republic of Ireland, so not not UK. Um, so she was found to be domiciled in the UK, even though she'd only lived in the UK for a total of three years. The longest she'd ever lived there was 18 months. And she hadn't lived in the UK for 20 years. And she was still domiciled in the UK because she'd registered to vote and she had an address in the UK. And that was enough. Yeah, I think, I mean, half the things you said, it's going to take a bet right now on where Harry gets buried. I'm going to go for UK. Yeah. But even things like he, and because he's so public, we need, you know, officially moved out in May 2020, you know. Since then, he's been back quite a few times in two two and a bit years. Um, If he, you know, officially loses Frogmore Cottage this month, March 2023, there's a chance he's going to be back in May for the current for the mm-hmm. coronation. So there's all these different things where we see him come back. He comes back for the World Child Awards for you know things like that. Chances are he'll come back. I don't know if one of his friends or cousins got a big birthday party. All these mm-hmm. different things. And the big one is he's not public. Like you said, he's not publicly relinquished his ties to the UK. Mm-hmm. Like he's always spoken about how America is his family's home like his children's home, his wife's home, but Britain is his home. Yeah. And he he now lives in America, but he still has that tie to Britain. And the the official dictionary definition of domicile is to treat a country as your home, your permanent yeah. home. So for him, that's what he is publicly doing every time he talks about the UK. Mm-hmm. So he is probably very unintentionally domiciling himself in the UK every time he gives an interview. I think if he was a normal guy, he would definitely be domiciled in the UK without a shadow of a doubt, because usually changing your domicile is something that has to come from you. It's not something that somebody else des- decides for you unless there's sort of some sort of dispute um, like taxes or something. Normally you have to initiate that process and it's very, very difficult to do. So if Harry's not initiating it and he's still got ties in the UK and still coming back regularly, um, then he would be domiciled if he was an ordinary guy. 
of course, the royals are not ordinary people. And so, and this is a very ambiguous and complex area of law. So it's perfectly possible that they might manipulate it and be like, oh, we've decided that Harry's no longer domiciled and everybody agrees with us. Um, uh, and it's only because of the house. And um, that might be that. But if he was an ordinary guy, he, we would not know. We could not say that he's not a councillor of state anymore and he's not domiciled in the UK because it is just very, very difficult. It does not mean live. It doesn't mean have a house there. So. And I think, you know, even if he was undomiciled in the UK, I don't think we'd find out because we've now got William and Camilla and Edward, as well as Andrew and Harry, who were all acting as councillors of state. So unless there is a situation where William, Camilla, uh, Edward and, and Charles are all out of the country at the same time, like we're, they're never going to go, oh, surprise, Harry's not a councillor of state anymore because we've undomiciled him. Like, it's just not going to come up in conversation. They don't sort of exclude people when they make an announcement saying, I'm, you know, we're having the councillors of state. They don't say, I'm not Harry. They say, like, <laughs> I've appointed William and um, um, William, Edward and Anne to be councillors of state. So if he's not in the country, he's not going to do it. And whether or not he's domiciled here or not, he's, it's very, very unlikely that they're ever going to need him or that they're ever going to specifically appoint him. It's not even, a, it's not a big deal because it is a big deal because they have got a very important role if needed, mm -hmm. but it's not likely to come up. And also my other argument is Harry probably doesn't particularly want to be a councillor of state anyway. No, probably He not. doesn't seem to know massively much about what goes on in the workings of the monarchy, particularly at those kind of higher levels. So mm. I doubt it, he'd enjoy it if he suddenly got a phone call going, Harry, you've got to come back to the UK for three weeks because everyone's yeah. going on holiday to be in charge. Also, yeah. you can't do anything without our permission. Like, I, that would be like the worst thing for me. I'd be like, no thanks. I just, I just wanted to, before we go off into the commentary, I just wanted to say one other thing, which is that I think that, and this has come up quite a few times over the years, is like the conversation of how Andrew is treated versus the conversation about how the Sussexes are treated. And um, this will probably come up later on in my notes as well. But I think there may be, understandably, people who are suggesting that there's kind of a bias, that they've definitely been kicked out, whereas Andrew is still living in Royal Lodge as of now. And by all, according to the press, if you want to believe the press, is not going to be moving anytime soon. I think it's understandable that people would think that. I think we don't know the exact details of the Sussex's lease, as I've said before, but if Andrew does stay in Royal Lodge and in a year's time he's still there and the Sussexes have been kicked out of Frogmore, I don't think that that is bias because firstly, as we talked about extensively in last week's episode, Andrew has a 75 year lease and in the annual report of the Royal Family, they said that the Sussexes lease was annual. So it's a very different situation. It's much harder to kick somebody out when they've when you've said they can be there for 75 years versus when you've said they can be there for a year. And also in Andrew's situation, he does not have full control. He can't just kick Andrew out whenever he wants. Um, he has to sort of consult with the Crown Estate and so on. Um, whereas with the Sussexes, we now know Charles has full control over it. So it's essentially, it, it's different. It would be like if my lease came to an end and my landlord asked me to leave, that is different from them saying three months into my lease, sorry, but we want to kick you out um, for no reason. Th those are different things. And so I can understand and I will talk later about why I think about that idea of bias or how they're being treated. But I just kind of wanted to bring those points back that like 
I don't think that it is the case that Andrew is being treated differently if he is allowed to stay in Royal Lodge versus them. Yeah, I mean, if you, you know, take out the the people from the situation and just think of it as someone in a 75 year lease versus people in a one year lease. And like you said, there are, I mean, I have, I have opinions, um, but legally um, they, they can't kick Andrew out. And legally, they can ask Harry and Meghan to leave because as of the date of their lease coming up, it's not theirs anymore because that's how leases work. Yes, I, I know that all too well, sadly. We've done a bit of fact checking, which I think is just sort of yeah, always important, checking the details of the story so that people know what has happened and what hasn't. Um, but we're, I think the way I've structured my notes, because um, this is such a messy story, um, so the way I structured my notes is kind of my reaction and my evolving reaction throughout time to this story as more things came out. And so the first story was essentially uh, was the idea that they were being kicked out of Frogmore Cottage. And I wasn't upset. It was much the same as my reaction to the Andrew situation in that we're talking about absurdly wealthy privileged people we're not talking about like a single mum is working three jobs to make ends meet and is using food banks and is being kicked out of her home we're talking about absurdly wealthy people who can go and find another gigantic mansion to live in very easily um so I wasn't like I wasn't sort of like this is so mean and unfair and how terrible is this but I will say that my kind of gut reaction at the beginning was that this is an unnecessarily provocative move from Charles and it actually it reminded me a lot of the Margreta situation and when she cut off half her family just because Margreta kind of cut off half of her family in the most sort of harmful um, (laughs) way that she could possibly go about it in the most targeted way she could possibly go about it and then when there was a backlash to it the response was oh no 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 but we're doing this uh, because we want to be um, progressive and we want the monarchy to be modern and to survive and so that's why we're cutting off all these people and that's why I did it in such a dramatic and public and awful way and it kind of reminds me of that situation in that it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't hurt me that they might not live in Frogmore, um, but it's been sold to us as sort of a progressive move by a lot of members of the press of like, it will save money or um, Charles believes that by moving them out of Frogmore, it'll put the situation to rest and sort of finally cut ties and blah, blah, blah. It's been sold as this like thing that Charles has done because he understands that this is what the monarchy needs to survive. And it doesn't make the monarchy more modern. It doesn't save us any money um and it's, so it's it's a thing that I've said a few times before of like I it's not necessarily the situation that bothers me it's the narrative that they're trying to trick us into thinking that this is something that they did for us that essentially it's our fault the public's fault when actually Charles did this because he wanted to do it yeah I I named all the sections of my commentary as I always do <laughs> yeah. so this section was called ooh drama immediately sliding into oh god drama yeah <laughs> <laughs> My very initial thought was like, that's exciting. What's going to happen now? And then I very quickly realised that I don't like drama when it includes the Sussexes. Because as you already mentioned, people are very unhinged when it comes to them, either in their support of the Sussexes or in their sort of illogical hatred of them. And I was like, I don't want to go on any form of social media because I'm either going to see people being like, relishing in the fact that they have been evicted or people 
blowing it out of all proportion and talking about them being made homeless and devastated about the sort of loss of their home when they're say insanely rich and have another house in America. And I think there like there is a middle ground which is what happened, which is that it was probably like you said, it is a completely child's decision to evict them and there was no need for him to do it. And there was no need for him to do it publicly in a way that it leaked to the press very early on. Um, and there was, you know, and there was no need for him to do it before the coronation or any of these things. But also at the same time, there's nothing wrong with him doing it if he's just saying, I'm not actually renewing your lease because you've just said a bunch of weird stuff about me and I yeah. don't like it very much. So it's like, I, I, I can see where Charles came from and I understand by people like, yeah, Charles has made a stand, but he also I don't necessarily think it was the best stand he could have made in the world. Yeah, that's why it reminds me of the Margarita situation, because I think that um, nobody, like there were definitely questions about like Nikolai being a model and things like that, but no, there wasn't like this desperate, as far as I'm aware, there wasn't this desperate need that like it was overwhelming in Denmark that they wanted Athena of all, you know, Princess Athena is like, 11 years old that they wanted her to be stripped of her title because they hate her so much and maybe Margrethe thought that that was what was necessary for the continuation of the monarchy but it just it feels like they're blaming the public for it and I just I it's not their responsibility that you made a decision and you now have to deal with the consequences Charles made the decision to kick them out I I didn't ask for this um so it's not my fault that it's happening and I think a lot of people are kind of saying I've seen this in the press and I've seen this in uh, the members of the public as well are kind of being like oh well you know this is you know it's an un unpleasant thing that had to happen but it's an example of Charles's strong leadership and it actually reminded me I'm sure because you work in a school if it's anything like when my mom was at a school <laughs> it'll be exactly the same thing it reminded me of when you get a new co-worker and they really, really desperately want to impose their authority. So they just make loads of random decisions to change things when they first start. And they don't ever sort of stop and think what's practical. They don't think about what's right for the organization. It, usually it fails. And usually I'm sitting there like, I told you, we tried this before and it didn't work then. So I don't know why you're trying it again. But it's it's not coming from, I think this would be something that makes this organization better. It's coming from, I desperately want people to think that I'm in a position of authority. So I'm just going to use it to change a bunch of things. And that's actually what it kind of reminded me of. It didn't feel like strong leadership from Charles to me. It feels like him going, I'm the boss now. So I'm going to show everyone that I'm the boss by making these decisions. And that isn't strong leadership to me, actually. So I don't know. I, the way it's being sold to me is like this progressive decision, this decision that Charles had to make in order to put the situation to rest, which also he doesn't have control over. He can't control if the Sussex is put it to rest or not. <laughs> but, that you know, um, I, I, it's it's not progressive it's not modern it's not um an example of strong leadership it's just a decision that Charles wanted to make and if if this could be sold to us without it being like that this was done for us as some sort of self-sacrifice then that would be ideal because I don't necessarily I didn't at the time anyway feel strongly about them being kicked out I understand as you say they said some nasty things about Charles I wouldn't want them to live in my house either so fair enough it's just that narrative around it that I really don't like yeah, I think I would have it would have felt more progressive. I would have had a lot more respect for for Charles if he'd come out and said, um, as a you know, I'm really angry with <laughs> Harry, and as a result, I'm not going to let him keep living in my house. <laughs> <laughs> then I would be like, 
that is fairly strong that's honest it's fair <laughs> honest yeah. I'll take that but it was it was yeah it was like you said the way it was being sold is like this is the new era of Charles mm. strong man big strong man he is and it's 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 petty it is petty and I always think like if if you know it had been not Harry if he'd thrown out Edward and Sophie who are in the same position as Harry and Meghan as in that is in they live in a house with a with a lease um they have a long lease like a long lease like uh, Andrew does a much longer one than Andrew but one of these (laughs) one of these situations um maybe then like would people have had the same reaction because I don't think they would have done and then I also thought in sort of that initial part of the the my reaction to it in my stage one of um of my evolution um I also thought about the security situation uh, so we talked in episode 33 about uh, Harry's security battle. And I think if he wins that security battle and then gets another home in the UK that's not Frogmore Cottage, w- the taxpayer then has to pay for the security of that home in a way that we wouldn't have had to for Frogmore because it's already covered by the royal family's security. Um, but I also think that we said in our episode on security that we felt that Harry didn't deserve to have taxpayer funded security because he already has security in Frogmore. And so if he chooses to go out to the pub and socialize with his friends, that's a choice. That's a choice to leave the home and leave the grounds. And so he shouldn't have anything special because of it, it being his choice. But I think without Frogmore, they will have nowhere in the UK with security. And rightly or wrongly, whether you agree with them or not, they have made it clear that they would therefore have nowhere in the UK that they feel safe taking their kids. I mean, I've I've heard a lot of people sort of saying like, oh, well, I don't think there'll be any backlash. I don't think it'll matter. And I know that right now people are not very sympathetic towards Harry and Meghan in the UK. And maybe they're not as invested in Archie and Lily as they are in the Wales grandchildren, just because they haven't seen them as much. But we have to remember that 10 years ago, people didn't like William and Kate. Um, Opinions change. And Charles doesn't have the kind of soft grandmotherly image that the Queen has. He's seen as much more cold, much more calculated, much more selfish. And so I actually do think that right now we might not see a backlash this in favour of the Sussexes. But in, I don't know, five years, 10 years, when there's a bit of space, I think it's perfectly possible that people will reflect on this situation and they might actually come to think that Charles was a bit harsh with this um, because he, the consequence of this is that it will probably be harder for him to see his grandchildren, not Harry and Meghan necessarily, but his grandchildren who are, who are tiny and had nothing to do with any of this. Yeah, I, I saw an article. I didn't read the article. I will admit that. I just read the headline. I saw a headline of an article <laughs> that was like, poor Charles, now he'll never see his grandchildren. And I was like, but this is this is Charles's fault. Like, he did this. Like, he could have just not evicted them from a house where they lived, which is very close to Winter Castle, which as monarch, he has the right to live in. And, you know, just down the road. And I was like, it was really interesting because it was, it was obviously a very pro Charles thing but like you said I kept thinking like in you know when Archie and Lily are five and six or whoever old they are and you know or when they're young teenagers and they do an interview with uh, you know with their mum and they're like oh it's sad we've never seen grandpa Charles like suddenly it's not poor Charles anymore it's hang on these poor children have never seen their grandfather because he evicted them as children Mm -hmm. It's a different, whole different spin on things. 
definitely. I think I'm not saying necessarily right now that there will be a backlash, but I do think that this decision is one that could. That's why I said it was unnecessarily provocative, because I think that it wasn't needed. It wasn't essentially had to do this. There was nobody desperately begging him to do this. This was a decision that he took. And I think that right now, some people are trying to spin it as him, an example of his strong leadership. But I think that that narrative is going to be much harder to sell than it would have been if the Queen had kicked them out. Um, because Charles is not or is already not seen as a being a particularly warm and grandfatherly and loving person. And whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But that's his image. And so I think that in, 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 it is perfectly possible that this decision may come back to bite him because he didn't need to do it. And a consequence of it is that he might knowingly have made it more difficult for him to have a relationship with his grandchildren. And I think that's what could, in a few years' time, when everything's settled down a little bit, fingers crossed, um, is <laughs> it could it could cause a bit of a backfire. So my initial reaction to all of this story, my stage one, was no, I'm not upset, but I do think that it was not necessarily a decision that needed to be made. I don't like a lot of the narrative around it, and I think it could backfire in a few years. I'm interested for stage, stage two. two. <laughs> well, my, yeah, my stage two was when the story developed slightly. Um, and now this has not been confirmed because allegedly the Royal Lodge situation, which is what we first heard about, the idea that Andrew's being kicked out of Royal Lodge, is because they want the Sussexes to move out of Frogmore. They want Andrew to move from Royal Lodge into Frogmore. And then potentially, potentially it's so that Kate and William can move from Adelaide Cottage into Royal Lodge because it's much bigger. And like, look, none of this is confirmed. <laughs> it's all allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. So we don't actually know for definite. Um, but cutting Meghan and Harry's lease is one thing. You know, they came to the end of the lease and they can ask them to leave for whatever reason they want. Um, but cutting their lease so that you can give their home to an alleged sex offender is a horrific choice. <laughs> I know. I, I titled the uh, Andrew section of my thoughts as, like, I was rooting for you because yeah. I was rooting for Charles. But if, if this one is true, I am... Um, bamboozled yes yeah. I've always thought Charles was fairly good at PR and optics and Same. this is the worst possible decision I think he could have made apart from you know making Andrew his heir like <laughs> with this continuous comparison rightly or wrongly between how the Sussexes are treated and how Andrew was treated the act of evicting Harry and Meghan not evicting Andrew but then letting Andrew move into Harry and Meghan's old house is absolutely it's just I just can't get my head around it it's the worst decision I think he could have made yeah and I can't I mean he could it could come out to be completely true but I I almost I just don't believe it because I can't believe anyone would be that foolish last week we talked about the fact that we um essentially we don't want Andrew to get any special treatment but we do think that it would probably be a wrong be a wrong decision to force him out of um Royal Lodge because and that was what the story was at the time it wasn't that yeah, I mean, the press was saying that he was going to move to London and live in his house that he owns there. Um, and but he was the essentially it was that he's going to be kicked out of royal properties. And um, we thought that was potentially a bad move because it would mean that Andrew could tally and do anything um, uh, if he felt like it because he no longer had any, you know, any reason not to say something bad or embarrass Charles or sell state secrets or whatever. So that's what we said last week. Um, but I think there is a difference between letting somebody stay in the home that they already have a legal right to stay in and giving them a new home. And I, I've some people have responded and kind of said, well, oh, well, Frogmore's smaller. So it's a downgrade, really. 
And that would be fine if he wasn't kicking somebody out to make room for Andrew. I think that's the part of the narrative that bothers me. If Andrew, if the Frogmore Cottage was empty and Andrew was downgraded from Royal Lodge to Frogmore Cottage, then fine, that might, you might be able to spin that narrative in a, way, in a certain way. But it is just the idea that Harry and Meghan could be forced out of their home to give it to Andrew, especially considering the fact that over and over again, people have said that Andrew's been given preferential treatment despite, or what he's been accused of doing versus what the Sussexes have been accused of doing. Like what he's done is significantly worse. Um, and yet people think that he has had preferential treatment compared to them. And so I think with that narrative in mind, to then kick them out to give an their home to Andrew would be just an absolutely catastrophic thing to do. And that the, even the thought of that just kind of, suddenly I was actually quite angry about this story um, <laughs> in a way that I didn't think I would be. But I also think, I mean, my, this is my tin hat conspiracy theory, um, but I don't know necessarily whether Charles is wanting to do that. But we said last time that we thought maybe the stories were being were coming out to put pressure on Andrew to leave himself um, because they know that they can't just kick him out. And I felt like the story was really messy, the way that it was handled from both sides of things. It didn't. You're right that Charles always, has always seemed much better at the optics and much better at PR. And it felt really messy for it to come from him. So I, I can believe that Kensington Palace <laughs> might have been <laughs> the ones who are putting pressure on Andrew because they want to move into Royal Lodge because they are the only people I can think of who could make the story this messy, to be honest. So I, <laughs> that's the only reason that I would buy this story is that the messiness made me think, yeah, this is definitely, this has got Kensington Palace's fingerprints all over it. Yeah, my uh, William and Kate section was titled, Please God, No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm, I think... My, I would say, put money on it, either coming from Kensington Palace or from the Yorks camp. Mm. Not necessarily Andrew, maybe Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> I could see her being this messy. Um, but it was like you said, I think, you know, the they can be completely separate acts. The act of Harry and Meghan's lease coming to an end and them not renewing it. And the act of reducing the amount of money that goes to Andrew and then saying, well, there's a perfectly nice, much smaller house here you yeah. can live into. Could be completely separate things. But they are always going to be interlinked yeah, yeah. because of the story and the timing. And they can't unlink them now. Even if they waited yeah. three years, it's linked forever. So if Andrew ever moves into Frogmore Cottage, it's a disaster. But when you're okay, moving into Royal Lodge is, I mean, I'm going to scream, I swear to God. They, I mean, first of all, I'd need the house fumigated because Andrew's <laughs> lived there for a whole year, <laughs> 25 years. Um, but the they've just they moved in mm. August September seven months ago. They already have two other houses, but they've just made this massive push about we're moving to Adelaide's cottage because it's a small family home. Mm -hmm. We can live just as a family, and it allows us to, you know, be a small family. Still go off and do all our royal stuff. We've got a castle nearby. We're very royal, but we're just a normal family. We do yeah. we have tea together. You know, it's all that. And then to be like, actually, we want a 30 room house. And mm -hmm. uh, we do want our living chef to be with us. Yeah. Like, it's so hard surviving where we don't have our nanny in the house, you know. <laughs> Pick a narrative. If you're going to be the cosy, normal family, that's what you've got to be. You've said it now. You're going to have to do it until Louis is 18 in like 13 years. You can't suddenly be like, oh, we're still a normal family. Just like you guys, we just also part of our family is our chef and our nanny and our housekeeper, and they live with us because we're all a big family. 
And also we need a swimming pool. Like that <laughs> doesn't work. No. I mean, I can stand on a practical level. Maybe they don't have the same. I mean, <clears throat> William gave Kate the ring that his mother wore during an extremely unhappy marriage. They lived in Kensington Palace, which was not necessarily the happiest of homes for them growing up. So maybe he's just not as sentimental about these things. And maybe to him, moving into Royal Lodge is a totally practical decision and he wants a swimming pool really badly. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I honestly don't know. If that's the case, why don't they just swap? Why doesn't yeah. Andrew just go to Adley Cottage? And it's like, Adley Cottage is, is quite, it's a nice, I mean, it's, the cottage thing always gets me, the cottage yeah. and lodge thing, because these are massive, even Frogmore Cottage, which is like, oh, it's only four bedrooms and a nursery. Like, that's five bedrooms. That's five bedrooms. <laughs> Plus bathrooms and multiple living rooms. Like, they're big and they've got grounds. Yeah. And the if the issue of Kensington Palace which where they lived, like apartment one is fairly compact. It's it's still big. It's a massive house, yeah. but it's more on the scale of Frogmore than Adelaide. Um, was that it was open to the public and they wanted the privacy of being within the Windsor Castle grounds. Moving to Royal Lodge puts them back in the public again because Royal Lodge, we see Andrew about three times a week because he drives out of Royal Lodge. Like we'll see them more than we ever did in London. Yeah, definitely. So it just it it doesn't necessarily make sense, um, but I think I really it's one of those parts of the story that I really hope isn't true because I think it is a deliberate choice to take their home and give it to Andrew, and that would just be really really bad. I I don't think I'd be able to get over that. So um, I really hope that part of the story is not true. And then I think. So at this point, I was actually starting to feel quite sympathetic towards Harry and Meghan because their home has been taken from them potentially to give to Prince Andrew. It wasn't a necessary move that had to happen and they paid back the renovation costs that they didn't have to actually pay back. And um, now they might be left with nowhere that they feel is safe. Like obviously they can afford a gigantic mansion, but they might not feel safe there because they won't have security. And so I was starting to feel a bit sympathetic towards them. But then they did this weird kind of paparazzi i think the, the the people call it pap walk don't they um where you call yeah pap walk yeah you call the paparazzi and you basically walk around in front of them um all smiling going into a private members club in la and then i was like oh no okay look everybody in this story is just rich and um i don't feel sorry for any of them <laughs> yeah this section of my note was called i hate rich people yeah. not you kate but like <laughs> <laughs> so just be better at pr guys yeah because this is a golden opportunity for Harry and Meghan to swing the narrative that at the moment is very much not in their favour back mm. into their favour. They could have done anything. They could have taken a nice picture of the kids playing with some ducklings and being like, you know, made a really snide comment. So we're just really happy to share this with the public because we are your public servants and services. You, you know, they could have said anything. They could have done anything. And then said they were like, we're going to go to an expensive private members club in LA literally in Hollywood <laughs> and we're just gonna walk in wearing very expensive clothes and smiling at the cameras and it I I'm not against the concept of a pat walk I mean it's the concept of a yeah, pat walk yeah. when it's done at a really awful time <laughs> which is what this was yeah I think the trouble is that we don't necessarily know that Harry and Meghan are trying to achieve any particular thing with their PR. So I found it very difficult because sometimes I feel like they're doing things because they want to win over the British public. 
um, and they want the narrative to be more sympathetic. Sometimes I think that they um, are not trying to win over the British public and they don't care about the British public at all. They're sort of even trying to deliberately make us angry. Um, so I never really am sure exactly what narrative they're trying to build in the UK specifically. Um, and I also don't know specifically with the House whether or not that they want people to feel sorry for them because they want the least to be kept or whether they want to show themselves as being like defiant and we don't need this property. And um, so screw you, essentially. Um, so it's difficult because I don't actually know what they are trying to achieve. Um, but I think if they were trying to get some sort of sympathy or they were trying to uh, get try and pr put pressure on Charles perhaps to let them stay in Frogmore this definitely did that in um going to a private members club shows that you have enough money to be able to buy an, a nice mansion for yourself you don't need your subsidized rent you don't need Frogmore Cottage and also then I thought you know one of my main concerns um with the story was that I thought that it actually backed up Harry's court case because he had always had Frogmore as this place where he could go where he was going to be safe so he didn't need extra taxpayer funded security but if he wants to come to the UK he now no longer has anywhere as far as we know and so um, actually maybe he would be entitled to security then because he would have nowhere where he, he would have um, security uh, but then I actually thought this undermined that because the amount of times that the paparazzi even came close to them was like twice in their entire relationship. And so clearly if security isn't a concern to them in the U in the US, I don't really understand why it would be a concern to them in the UK. So I think, I, you know, as I say, I don't know exactly what narrative Harry and Meghan are trying to spin, which makes it difficult. I can't say if they're doing it well or not because I don't know what they're trying to do. But with the, the one thing I do know is that Harry wants security. And I think that this actually undermines what I thought could have been something that would work in his favor because clearly he can walk around LA and be swarmed by paparazzi and be absolutely fine so why can't he go to the UK and stay out in the countryside in the middle of nowhere where no one knows where he is you know yeah like, it would have been different if they were both like frowning but they yeah. were very happy when they got out of that car yeah um which just very much undermines half of what Harry said ever but very much the um security issue because they're surrounded and everyone knew where they were yeah. Because those pictures came out as soon as they were taken. And the other thing about the whole narrative around it has gone very, very quickly from the initial one, which I think came from, from Omid Scobie, who I never actually see any of his tweets because he did, in fact, block me. But really? from what I... He did. When I was I was raising money for charity and then got blocked by Omid Scobie in the middle yeah. of it. And I was like, what did I do? I'm just being a good person. Oh, yeah. you. Ra I remember you raised money for Kate's patronages. That was I really did. a lovely thing. Why is he so bitter about it? <laughs> Walked through the middle of that, and I was like, "Okay, rude to even mention Ariel Megan." Anyway, um, but which was they were, you know, devastated to have been thrown out of their home, their first home with Archie, and now, as of Sunday, it is, oh yeah, they don't mind. They they were happy yeah. to leave. They were already packed up pretty much, and I mean, I don't know if any of them have come from the Sussexes or if mm. they sent one out and were like, "Oh, let's change it," or they only sent out the second one, or what's going on, but. The, there are two narratives and the narrative that they seem to be sticking with now is oh they're fine with it they're, they're above this they don't you know yeah. care that they've been thrown out which is a very mature thing to do and that's what I kind of hope happened they were like mm. fair enough we don't want to go back to that house but I think it's been a real confused push because anyone who has PR mm -hmm. would surely have a story like this, go for like what is our narrative going to be yeah. are we upset 
are we angry are we fine with it I just pushed that from the start and instead they pushed about three different narratives within a week it's been very confusing quite frankly yeah definitely I think it is I've always found it hard to work out exactly what it is that they want because they seem to contradict themselves quite a lot um and I think this story is just one example um but yeah I think I'd started to feel quite sympathetic towards them I'd started to feel like maybe this is going to you know uh come back to bite Charles and then they just did the one thing that I feel like scuppered that or changed that like the one thing that they could possibly do <laughs> um to sort of make me lose that sympathy again and realize that like no all the people we're talking about in this story are massively wealthy and all have much more home security you know as, as in like the security of knowing they have somewhere to live than I will ever have and I, even I'm quite fortunate <laughs> Yeah, I was like, my current state of mind is I never want to talk about houses ever again. (laughs) I've spent far too much time looking at leases of rich people's houses when I can't afford any house. (laughs) No, I know. It's it's ridiculous, isn't it? Like, I don't want to do three weeks in a row on housing. So for the more cheerful segment of this week's podcast, we are once again mirroring what we did last week, where we spoke about the solo birthday portrait they released for Princess Estelle of Sweden's 11th birthday. Because this week, on Thursday morning, they released two beautiful, lovely birthday uh, photographs for Prince Oscar of Sweden's birthday. So he is Estelle's younger brother the third in line to the throne yeah and they released his birthday because it was his birthday that's when they released the photos and they managed to do exactly what we said they should do before we even managed to release the episode which I just think is a bit suspicious yeah they're definitely bugging us that's pretty much what we know from this um so yeah Oscar turned seven on 2nd of March and the photographs were also taken by Linda I messed up her name last time Linda Brostrum um uh, and I was right they were taken in the same photo shoot as Estelle's um uh, so earlier in February and in Haga Palace so again nice and consistent same photographer same aesthetic keeping it consistent but yeah our main criticism last week of Estelle's pictures were that we only got one and that it was nice but it was boring and as Grace said they kind of corrected that so they're definitely bugging us and listening to us to know what to do um so I think the first thing is yeah they released two photographs and I have no idea what's going on anymore no I'm so confused where where's this consistency the suits are famous for where's it gone I know yeah so we got one photograph of the the future queen uh who was turning 11 and two photographs for her younger brother uh, who's not going to be monarch probably and um is turning seven I would have understood if it was like 10 or 13 or some sort of significant age but I'm pretty sure that seven is not a particularly significant age in Sweden um and yeah I don't I don't really understand unless there was like Estelle was just so bad at posing for photographs <laughs> that they only had that one of her on her own because uh, I would have expected two for Estelle and one for Oscar. So who knows what's going on? And if they're going to, you know, I, I heard somebody, I think somebody said that um, they did the opposite last year, maybe. So it was two for Estelle and one for Oscar. So maybe they're just going to like alternate it. Who knows? I was like, they one of the pictures they released was of Oscar and Estelle. And I was just like, why not release that with Estelle's birthday photo 
and also the one with Estelle like one of the things we said last week was that she looked very like mature and grown up and you know it was kind of she had a straightened hair and she was smiling with her mouth closed but in this one she looked younger because she was sort of had a real toothy smile going on and I was like it kind of one of the things we said last week was that her birthday photo was very lovely and very sort of like a big girl's photo but it was a bit grown up not like a bit too grown up for 11 year old but it was very grown up and she's only 11 but to put that with it you would have had the like oh this is princess Estelle looking all sweet and then this is Estelle and her little brother who are still children chilling together and it looked really nice but no you know listen to me yeah I think so to go back to something you said a second ago it did kind of um make me think of when Charlotte didn't get any birthday photographs do you remember that one year she got just an old photograph that was released and then a few days later yeah a few days later they released the first photographs of baby Louie and it was her and Louie and they were very sweet photographs and so a lot of people since then have been like oh well that was actually Charlotte's birthday photographs because they were released a few days later but they weren't released on her birthday and they weren't just her so they're not they weren't her birthday photographs she did not get new both birthday photographs that year she got a separate photo shoot a few days later and so yeah it kind of felt like they were doing that a little bit of like well we've only got one photo for Estelle um but then we'll give her like a second bonus photograph a few days later when it's her brother's birthday um was kind of what it felt like to me um but yeah I, I uh it might have been nice to sort of have that juxtaposition of have something more cheerful and something more serious for Estelle's birthday rather than just the serious one but I don't know I don't even know if they thought this in depth about it or if they were just like oh that one's nice and that was it um uh, <laughs> maybe we're thinking way too too much about it <laughs> they shouldn't need to think as much as we do they really Clearly. do they do people are, someone is gonna think about it like this uh, yeah yeah so yeah I think um, that's the other thing so not only do they give us two photographs rather than one which is what we complained about but also what the photos depicted was different so we've mentioned already that one was with Estelle and that it was them on a staircase sitting back to back it it kind of reminded me of like a promotional still from a brother sister duo who are Sweden's representative at Eurovision <laughs> That is exactly the vibe it is. They're, they're going to do a, a ballad um, and it's going to be quite slow, but there's going to be like funky lights in the background and then they're going to win. Like, that's what's going to Yeah, that's, what it, that's the, the vibe that it gave me. I don't think people sit like that normally and naturally. We will post the links as well in the description of the episode so you can see them. But um, yeah, I don't think that people sit like that ordinarily um and it was giving strong Eurovision vibes but it was nice at least I suppose to have something else in the photograph other than just Oscar so that it was kind of we've had a few photographs of them over the years to, together and we enable us to track their development I suppose so I quite liked that they had one of the photographs with Estelle yeah I always like seeing I think I always like the sibling photos because you don't actually get that many sibling photos in most yeah. most real families and I, I'm a real sucker for a sibling relationship mm. so I loved it I was like oh look they're together and they hang out and I bet someone had to like fight them to sit down and they had an argument like right. they're like I don't want to sit next to him he just ate my toast you know something like that that's what I like to imagine <laughs> John. yeah if you look at the photographs you might think like oh they're so angelic and they get on with each other so well but then you see like video clips of them it's like no they're just normal kids they fight with each other and um Estelle definitely bosses Oscar around a lot um as the older sibling uh but they managed to get them to pose so that's an achievement in itself (laughs) and then I suppose the other photograph gave us the thing we always ask for which is a dog dog photo dog photo 
so yeah, the photograph showed Oscar with the Crown Princess family's Kavapoo, Rio sitting on his lap. No complaints from me. I will always love a dog photo. Um, I think they should get their own birthday photographs too. And I think on a you know serious level, it does make the photograph just a bit more interesting to have them with something. That's what that was our main complaint with Estelle was just that it was just her sitting. Uh, whereas this is like, oh look, it's fun. He loves his dog. Um, isn't the dog cute? Yeah, you know, it was something else for the eye to look at. And Rio looked so grumpy. He's definitely yeah. the type of dog that does not want to sit on laps. And someone's like, here, put Rio on you, and he kept running off. And in the end, Oscar's like holding on, like, don't go, just take one picture. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh yeah. It, it's the thing, like, with when you have pictures of, you know. Estelle and Oscar with Rio or Charlotte and Orla and, or George and Lupo it just gives even if the dog isn't doing anything it gives the picture more movement because you're like well they had to wrangle that dog into that position somehow and I bet you know it ran away and then you know they got pictures where no the dog wasn't looking at the camera and a picture where the kids were looking at the dog and all these things that just you know aren't nor aren't proper picture things and you just kind of gives it a bit of a story which is always nice. I think that's, I think you were right. I think that's definitely what it is. It's like, you look at the cues in a photograph um, and you sort of can, yeah, you can imagine the story behind it or you can imagine what this says about this person's personality or, you know, uh, we don't know them on a personal level. And so what we know about them and our image of them is is built in part from what we see in photographs. Uh, whereas if it's just them sitting there, there's not really much you can glean from that. Even if, you know, it's not even... Like Estelle's a child, so you can't even go, oh, well, the interior design choices tell you something about that person, what colour their pillows are. She didn't pick them. So, you know, it didn't, it's nice to just have something in there that you can kind of go, OK, at least at the very least, I know Oscar loves dogs. I think particularly with the children, because well, apart from that one year, they didn't give Charlotte any. There's like an unwritten no. rule that you're going to get a nice picture of the children for their birthdays. With the adults, like getting a picture sometimes is the nice surprise. Yeah. yeah. But um it's not that you can have those expectations of the children because you don't see them every day you don't see them you know that often in relation to their parents mm -hmm. and if this is your one chance you're going to get to see them in six months you kind of want it to be like tell me everything I could possibly find out as a child from one picture rather than here is a girl she is on a chair that's what I've got for you yeah definitely so so yeah I think that um they obviously have been listening to us, possibly through sneaky little listening devices. There was a guy who came to fix my toilet a few he weeks ago. He had a bug in your toilet. He's from a Swedish royal family hiding bugs in your toilet. I mean, he, he didn't look very Swedish, but um, they might just be really good at disguising themselves. Who knows? Uh, I think I think if you were a spy and you spoke with a thick Swedish accent and wore like a Swedish military uniform or something, that would probably give you away. So actually, I can't draw anything. Probably quite good at disguising themselves. Yeah, I would have fair. thought so. That's probably part of the job. So the fact I can't take the fact that he was from London to be any kind of um, <laughs> sign that he's not a spy. Um, anyway, um, I'm rambling now. So I think. Um, yeah, I'm glad that they learned or they listened to us and are giving us what we want in the form of dog photos and just something a little bit more dynamic. But I don't know. I was pleased. I was more pleased than I was with Estelle because we got what we wanted. But I don't think that in five years time, these are going to be my favourite set of birthday photos because looking at them, you know, they gave us what we wanted, what we asked for. And I still wasn't that enthralled 
because they're just a bit grey. That's what I was thinking. They're very grey. They're grey picture. Oscar was wearing grey from in his clothing, top and bottom. Estelle was wearing white, black, grey. Um, and with the lighting and things, I don't know whether it's re- reflection or what, she looked, the, some of the white looked quite grey that she was wearing. The, the, the sort of, uh, what's it called, carpet thing on the stairs they were sitting on were grey and the stairs were grey stone. And all of the interior design choices of the, I mean, they have pops of orange in certain rooms, but they have a lot of sort of muted turquoises and purples that read in the sort of grey spectrum. So they're a little bit more colourful than grey, but they're still in that sort of muted colour palette. Um, so it was all just very white, grey, and for a seven-year-old and an 11-year-old, it still just felt a bit lacking in joy. Yeah, all the other Estelle and Oscar photos have either been, like, outside or they've mm-hmm. been inside in, like, incredibly bright white light. Yeah. Um, which, you know... It makes obviously it makes them look lighter and brighter, and everything kind of shines. And they've always been quite past pastel mm-hmm. pastel pictures. Like they've not been there in like a pop of you know bright orange or like a really yeah. like a postbox red color or something. Yeah, they've always been quite muted. But they've gone from being these kind of like springtime vibes. Yeah, to being like grey TikTok home design. Yes inspiration that's an excellent reference point um yeah everything's just very gray and bland and like I don't know anything about photography so um as always every time I criticize somebody who's like an expert in their field I'm always like who am I to criticize (laughs) I don't know anything about (laughs) but um I don't know I don't know whether the lighting choice just wasn't quite right or whether uh they should have maybe realized that with all of the furniture and everything being gray um that that was going to look strange if they were also wearing gray um I don't know it just shouldn't be the case that the dog is the most colorful thing in the photograph (laughs) the dog is brown (laughs) yeah it's not exactly you know a neon pink dog um but it was still the most sort of vibrant thing in the photograph it just yeah the lighting the clothes the decor everything just felt very somber in a way and that's maybe fine if they're adults but they're little little tiny babies and we want them to be tiny babies they are not growing up we agreed on this so yeah yeah I think the picture of Estelle for her birthday if it had been Victoria it would have been a perfect picture yeah and we would have loved it yeah but Victoria's been her 40s and Estelle's 11 yes (laughs) exactly um it's just I don't know it seems it felt this year and it it obviously wasn't because this was clearly a photo shoot with a photographer who came in and took photos it wasn't like her on her phone because some you know Victoria has also done the Kate Middleton move of releasing some photographs that were taken on her phone um so I I think I would have understood if it had been taken by her at home but they this was a photo shoot that was done and I just don't understand why there wasn't as much cheerfulness and like this is their birthday and their little children so I know I'm sounding at this point like I just can never be pleased because last week I said if they gave us a bit more depth it would be fine and then they gave us a bit more depth and I was like mm, it's too grey um, but I, this is actually quite rare for me to criticise the Swedish Royal Family's official photos so you know it's like, just like colour I'm a maximalist I've realised when I look at yes me too things. me too like, I want colour yeah I well I call myself a maximalist but I think that it's just like untreated mental illness um, and hoarding, <laughs> hoarding behaviours and uh, lack of focus and I just am like, oh, no, it's actually maximalist. It's definitely not a problem. 
I just, I just hoard things and I'm like, oh, this room needs brighter. Let's paint it yellow. That's bright. <laughs> yeah. So that is all we have got for this week's episode. Hopefully there are no more boring house mm. stories that I have to research. And next week there'll be something really thrilling and exciting. But yeah, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Please go and rate us five stars at your nearest podcast directory and also all the other ones you can possibly find. And if there is anything you would like us to talk about or answer questions on or you have any questions about, just let us know at one of the many places you can find us, all of which can be found below in the information boxes thing. Um, But until next week, it is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.